0: Victim him to the scourge of the lowlands one week after his arrival in Quito. we buried him at noonday in the new cemetery, wherein was never man laid, and by the act consecrated the ground. Peace to his ashes, honour to his memory. That 8th of September 1867 was a new day in the annals of Quito. On that day the imperial city beheld, for the first time in three centuries the decent burial of a Protestant in a Protestant cemetery. Somewhere mingled with the ashes of Pichincha is the dust of Hatawalpa, who was buried in his beloved Quito at his own request after his murder in Caxamarca. But dearer to us is that solitary grave. The earth is yet fresh that covers the remains of one of nature's noblemen. Turn we now to a more delightful topic than the politics and religion of Quito. The climate is perfect, Fair Italy, with her classic prestige and ready access, will long be the land of promise to travellers expatriated in search of health, but if ever the ancients had reached this Andean valley, they would have located here the Elysian fields, or the seat inhabitant of this favoured spot. No icy breezes send him shivering to the fire, nobody is sunstruck, nobody's buds are nipped by the frost, stoves and chimneys, starvation and epidemics are unknown. It is never either spring, summer or autumn, but each day is a combination of all three. The mean annual temperature of Quito is 58.8 degrees, the same as Madrid or as the month of May in Paris. The average range in 24 hours is about 10 degrees. The coldest hour is 6 a.m., the warmest between 2 and 3 p.m. The extremes in a year are 45 degrees and 70 degrees those of Moscow are 38 degrees and 89 degrees. It is a prevalent opinion that since the great earthquake of 1797 the temperature has been lower. It was suddenly reduced, says the Encyclopaedia Metropolitana, from 66 degrees or 68 degrees to 40 degrees or 45 degrees, a manifest error. The natives say that since the Terramote of 1859 the seasons have not commenced so regularly nor are they so well defined. There are more rainy days in summer than before, and it remains to be seen whether the late convulsion has affected the climate. The mean diurnal variation of the barometer is only 0.084. So regular is the oscillation, as likewise the variations of the magnetic needle, that the hour may be known within 15 minutes by the barometer or compass. Such is the clock-like order of nature under the equator, that even the rains, the most irregular of all meteorological phenomena in temperate zones, tell approximately the hour of the day. The winds, too, have an orderly march, the ebb and flow of an aerial ocean. No wonder watch tinkers cannot live where all the forces in nature keep time. Nobody talks about the weather. Conversation begins with benedictions or compliments. The greatest variations of the thermometer occur in autumn and the greatest quantity of rain falls in April. While on the western side of the Andes, south of the equator, the dry season extends from June to January. On the eastern side of the Cordillera, the seasons are reversed, the rain lasting from March to November. The climate of the Central Valley is modified by this opposition of seasons on either side of it, as also by the proximity of snowy peaks. Nine such peaks stand around Quito, within a circle of 30 miles, The prevailing winds in summer are from the northeast. In the winter, the southwest predominate. There are only three small drugstores in the great city of Quito. The serpent is used as the badge of apothecary art. Physicians have no offices, nor do they as a general rule call upon their patients. When an invalid is not able to go to the doctor, he is expected to die. Yellow fever, cholera and consumption are unknown, while intermittent fevers, dysentery and liver complaints, so prevalent on the coast, are uncommon. The ordinary diseases are catarrhal affections and typhoid fever. Cases of inflammation of the lungs are rare. More coughing may be heard during a Sunday service in a New England meeting house than in six months in Quito. The diseases to which the monks of St Bernard are liable are pulmonary and the greater number become asthmatic. Asthma is also common in keto, while phthisis increases as we descend to the sea. Individuals are often seen with a handkerchief about the jaws or bits of plaster on the temples. These are afflicted with headache or toothache, resulting from a gratified passion for sweetmeats, common to all ages and classes. Digestive disorders are somewhat frequent, contrary to the theory in Europe, but they spring from improper food and sedentary habits, the cuisine of the country does not tempt the scum to repletion, and the climate is decidedly peptic. So the typhoid fever of Quito is due to filth, poor diet, and want of ventilation. Corpulency, especially among the men, is astonishingly rare. According to Dr. Lombard, mountain districts favour the development of diseases of the heart, and contagious diseases are not arrested by the atmosphere of lofty regions. This is true in Quito. But while nervous diseases are rare in the inhabited highlands of Europe, in Quito they are common. Sleep is said to be more tranquil and refreshing, and the circulation more regular at high altitudes, but our experience does not sustain this. Goiter is quite common among the mountains. It is a sign of constitutional weakness, for the children of goitered parents are usually deaf and dumb, and the succeeding generation idiots. Busingold thinks this is owing to the lack of atmospheric air in the water. But why is it nearly confined to the women? In the southern provinces about Cuenca, cutaneous affections are quite frequent. In the highlands generally, scrofulous diseases are more common than in the plains. There are three hospitals for lepers, one at Cuenca with 200 patients, one at Quito with 112 patients, and one at Ambato near Riobamba, is a community of dwarfs. Dorbini made a post-mortem examination of some Indians from the highest regions and found the lungs of extraordinary dimensions, the cells larger and more in number, hence the unnatural proportion of the trunk, which is plainly out of harmony with the extremities. The expanded chest of the mountaineers is evidently the result of larger inspirations to secure the requisite amount of oxygen, which is much less in a given space at Quito than on the coast. This is an instance, observed Pritchard, of long-continued habit and the result of external agencies modifying the structure of the body and with it the state of the most important functions of life. We tried the experiment of burning a candle one hour at Gayakil and another part of the same candle for the same period at Quito. Temperature at Gayakil 80 degrees, at Quito 62 degrees. The loss at Gayakil was 140 grains. At Quito, 114, or 26 grains less, at the elevation of 9,500 feet. Acoustics will also illustrate the thinness of the air. Monsieur Gobain found, in 1745, that a nine-pounder could not be heard at the distance of 121,537 feet, and that an eight-pounder at Paris, at the distance of 102,664 feet, was louder than a nine-pounder at Quito, at the distance of 67,240 feet. According to Dr. Archibald Smith, the power of muscular exertion in a native of the coast is greatly increased by living at the height of 10,000 feet. But it is also asserted by observing travellers that dogs and bulls lose their combativeness at 12,000 feet, and that hence there can never be a good bullfight or dog fight on the Sierras. This is literally true, The dogs seem to partake of the tameness of their masters. Cats do not flourish at all at high altitudes, and probably the lion, transplanted from the low jungle to the table-lands, would lose much of his ferocity. Still, cockfights seemed to prosper, and the Battle of Pichincha was fought at an elevation of nearly 11,000 feet. Bolivar and the Spaniards also fought like tigers on the high plain of Junín. The sickness felt by some travellers at great elevations, violent headache and disposition to vomit, is called veta, and the difficulty of breathing from the rarity of the air is termed puna. Gerard complained of severe headache and depression of spirits at the height of fifteen thousand feet on the Himalayas. Doctor Barry, in ascending Mont Blanc, fifteen thousand seven hundred feet, speaks of great thirst, great dryness and constriction of skin, loss of appetite, difficult breathing tendency to syncope, and utter indifference. Baron Muller, in his ascent of Orizava, 17,800 feet, found great difficulty in breathing, and experienced the sensation of a red-hot iron searing his lungs and agonizing pains in the chest, followed by fainting fits and torrents of blood from his mouth. Humboldt, in scaling Chimborazo, suffered from nausea akin to seasickness and a flow of blood from the nose and lips while Herndon, on the slope of Pui Pui, 15,700 feet, said he thought his heart would break from his breast with its violent agitation. Though ascending the Andes to the height of 16,000 feet, and running up the last few rods, we experienced nothing of this except a temporary difficulty in respiration. We were exhilarated rather than depressed. The experience of Darwin on the Portillo Ridge, 14,000 feet, was only... "'a slight tightness across the head and chest. "'There was some imagination even in this,' he adds, "'for upon finding fossil shells on the highest ridge "'I entirely forgot the puna in my delight. "'De Saussure,' says truly, "'the strength is repaired as speedily as it has been exhausted. "'Merely a cessation of movement for three or four minutes, "'without even seating oneself, "'seems to restore the strength so perfectly "'that on resuming progress,' one feels able to climb at a single stretch to the very peak of the mountain. End of chapter 5